sitting rooms, studies and still lives, this Irish artist finds the beauty in imperfection. I'm Melanie Clark-Pullen and you're listening to Strut and Bellow. Today I'm speaking with Roisin O'Farrell. This is Strut and Bellow. Each podcast I'll be introducing you to women who are making in various different fields theatre, art, fiction, etc. Subscribe to the podcast or listen on SoundCloud. The website is www.strutandbellow.wordpress.com and you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. And now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Roisin O'Farrell. I guess the first question I have asked the other people I've interviewed is just where does it start for you? How do you, where does the draw to the creative making. Do you mean when, where did it start chronologically or do you mean generally now? Generally, like what is it that draws you to make stuff? I don't really know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I've always done something. Mm -hmm. It's always been there um, since I was a girl. Um, you know, I was always, you know, drawing or, or it would come out in some way, some kind of color, whether it be, uh, you know, decorating the house or whether it be designing the garden or whether it be, you know, working in craft or, um, or websites or, you know, it, it just always came out it it seeped out without being asked for or necessarily wanted um i think i come from a family of of artists and writers and and creatives and um it was for me i think a lot of it was quite unremarkable Mm -hmm. you know it was really you know, I still am caught by how remarkable some people think it. Yes. That, and, and how... But it's kind of, it becomes a, something precious and special. Yeah, whereas for me, it's a, it's, it's a normal... Um, I mean, I accept that not everybody is as creative as everybody else, and, and for some people that comes out in different ways, but um, I'm still surprised sometimes, you know, that people... Uh, it, that it's outside of their ken and that they consider it to be so special, you know. And I think, I, 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 yeah, unremarkable. It was just part, it's part of so many people in my family, both sides of my family, that um, that I, I didn't really think it was special and I didn't particularly think that my side of it was special. And I kind of possibly took it for granted, really, you know, just that, that it just was, you know, it just was and my mum's an artist and I think I always knew she loved me to do something but I I had a sense from quite early on of uh of the starving artist and knew what that was like and and a kind of bohemian lifestyle and really kind of thinking it's very romantic but it's not very pleasant to live and so I think I kind of I think there's two reasons why I ruled out um, art as a straightforward career. Partly that sort of sense of I wasn't really interested in in 
in that kind of very bohemian and and difficult angst kind of written life you know and the other side of it was that I was incredibly self-critical of anything I did um I would have an idea of something I wanted to do I'm not just talking about painting or drawing but often painting or drawing but it could be anything and I would have a sense of it in my head you know I'd have a vision for it in my head and what I would achieve would not be what I had in my head and I would consider that a failure because I couldn't exercise it and it took me years many many years and having the edges knocked off me <laughs> as life does to realize that um, that's the essence of a beginner that you and and I, I do you know Ira Glass Yes, I use his um, Absolute Beginners video in my workshops and I show it every time I do a workshop, I show it to people because it's fantastic. Um, he's just talking and he's basically saying how people have taste, creative people by definition because they have taste, good taste. They know what's good. And when that they start to create, when they start to write, when they start to paint, they know that what they're producing isn't as good as what they what they know to be as good to be good and so they get disappointed and they stop mm. and they get discouraged and that was me really you know at an early stage but you know and, and he says it in his video too that you have to create a body of work you know you have to learn your craft you have to keep doing it and that eventually your standard will come up to um to something nearer maybe not hit the mark but something nearer to what your taste knows is acceptable or, or good even well it's like uh, julia cameron you know who wrote the artist's yes. way she talks i think it's i think she was the one who talked about how you know you can't compare your first screenplay to george luke's star yeah. wars yeah you know because and also anne lamott who's my one of my patron saints have you read bird by bird no that's another one she she is an absolute um she's adamant that one must write a shitty first draft yeah and that you know you can't move forward until you've actually made yeah. mistakes and mm. you'd learn it bird they by bird they say that you you're you're not an artist until you've painted 500 paintings so what are you on now oh I'm well past it. <laughs> well past that marker. But, you know, it could be yeah. a thousand, yeah, you know, yeah, maybe yeah. it's a thousand for me. Yeah, or 10,000 hours, isn't it? That's what somebody <laughs> said. Yeah, yeah, it's the principle, isn't it? Is, yeah. yes. And it's in the repetition that you're learning. And, and, and I found, too, that in painting small paintings that I learned almost as much as you would with a large painting. And I kind of recommend that with, in my, when I'm teaching people that they work small because so many people start a big painting and they get lost in it and then they get discouraged and then because it's not going well they won't go back to it mm. it's much harder to keep at it whereas if you paint a small painting in an afternoon and it doesn't go very well um it's only one painting you yeah. know and the next yeah. one will be better and you go through the motions you're learning from each one and you're learning your craft and you're experimenting and you're you're encouraging yourself as you go along so so was there a point when you, you said you started out very self-critical mm -hmm. and now you're at a point where you've grown as an artist, you've got that confidence, but was there a moment where you... There was a series of moments. Right, yeah. Um, I guess 
I, I, the one moment I remember very vividly, I was walking down um, Bray Beach mm -hmm. with my mum and we were having a chat and, and you know, my mum's a great woman for ideas and stuff like that and we were talking and I was saying, you know, I think I might like to paint. And I didn't mean, you know, I mean, I had been painting, but, you know, really try this game and see if I could do it which was quite an admission. It's like you were saying about, you know, just saying it out loud, I'm going to do it, and then you're tied to it, yeah. you know? Saying it to my mother was yeah. like putting it out there, you know? Yeah. And, it, and it was very, very scary because A, you know, I knew what was good. Mm. And B, I come from a family of very talented artists. Mm. And to, to put my head out there and have, you know, oh, Roshan's painting now, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely terrifying so um i didn't really do an awful lot i went back to college a bit and i potted around and everything but at the end of the day i had a job i had kids with mortgage you know i couldn't just pack it all in and become an artist you know mm -hmm. i mean i just didn't have that luxury mm -hmm. and then a series of things happened um first of all well one of them was i was made redundant so you know careful what you wish for. As I always say, my, my old boss is still a good friend of mine. He always says it was the best thing he never did for me. But, um, so that gave me the push, which was great. And I made a decision to take a year and paint like it was a job and learn my craft and not worry about voice, not worry about good and just paint for a year until the money ran out. And, um, and I did that. And I took it like a job and I was very disciplined and I just painted and painted and painted and most of it was crap and you know that was fine you know um, and a couple of other things happened my personal life turned upside down and I separated from from Rob my husband and my Nana passed away so that was a big grief and those things kind of all kind of happened in a a sequence which um, shook everything up mm. so it took my life and literally like was a box and just shook it and put it back down again and in some ways I really was very lucky with that because it all landed down where it landed and you know it's like you know when you have to clean out a, a messy room you know you start by just putting things into piles you know so it was a case of just reordering my life from it wasn't very pleasant <laughs> but um my nana was quite influ she was very influential for me because she uh had she had, she had moved out from my granddad when she was in her 70s and she started traveling in her 80s and she had a, a great friend of hers, Aggie, who, and they used to go on these golden oldie tour buses around Ireland and stuff. And then one time, Aggie, who was very timid, she uh, didn't want to get into the lift. She was afraid of lifts. And my nana just didn't like fuss. So she got into the lift and there was a crowd and the lift was pretty full and Aggie standing on the threshold and she wouldn't get in, but she wouldn't get out. <laughs> and my, my, my nana just went, you know, not having any more of this. So she started traveling with other people like her daughters and stuff. And she traveled all over Europe. She loved architecture and they would just walk and walk and 
all over, like every city in Europe, you know, in her 80s. And then in her court shoes and her dress. <laughs> and um, she started writing. She went to creative writing classes and she was published. And, you know, she did interviews and uh, about her life when she was growing up and, you know, the sort of schools that she went through and she had a lovely story called um, No Shoes in Summer, you know, where they used to take the shoes off at the end of the term and they wouldn't put them back on till the autumn, you know. So what I learned from all of that with my Nana was that it's never too late. So when all of this hit me in my late 30s, you know, I had youngish kids and I had a career, I was working in business. Um, my life was in a certain kind of tra trajectory which you would expect it to continue to, to in. And I think what I learned from her was that you can live another lifetime that I could reinvent. Mm. And then I was given the push, you know, so in some ways I had nothing to lose anymore. So I, I just took it and I didn't know if it would work but I was going to die trying. I'm very, very determined um, that it wouldn't, if it didn't work, it wouldn't be because I had taken it for granted or um, not worked hard enough. Because, you know, with any craft, whether it be acting or writing or painting or sculpting or anything creative, you've got the talent bit, which is the bit that you can't really teach, that's there. And then you've got the craft, which you can teach. And you have, if you really do want something to say about the world, you have a responsibility to learn your craft. And that's a long, lifelong passion. So that was a commitment to, you know. So when, I mean, like that takes an awful lot of bravery, though. There's many people who would have a life shake up like that and would just scurry back to the safety of what they know. Was there... Um, it was, I, I, it just I mean, it strikes me it's that it's that it, whole thing about bravery, you know, that uh, Elizabeth Gilbert quote, quote that yeah. the only people who, um, who are fearless are, are toddlers and psychopaths. <laughs> 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 and you know that, that fear is healthy, you know, and it's not something, you know, I've never strived to be fearless, you know, but I have learned to, that fear is okay and that most of the important things in my life I've done when my hands or my legs or both were shaking yeah. but I've done them anyway mm. and and I've learned that I didn't die <laughs> that's that's incredible I've had those yeah you know it's which is a plus it's the, yeah I have I've you know, you know those those moments where you face down yeah. your biggest fear. And, yeah, and, and, and you yeah. know, the, the whole thing with, you know, with my personal life, that was a big lesson in the worst thing can happen. Mm. And I'm still standing up. And I had two young children, you know, so... But I think there was a great sense of... My life had been going along pitter-patter. And I, I think that the best thing of my life was my kids, you know, and but that I had something else to give and I was given an opportunity that maybe I could actually do that. I, you know, just the audacity of it, you know, the, you know, how lucky, you know, I just felt I was given a second chance in a way of life. And I mean, regardless of my personal life, uh, 
you know, I don't think you need to have everything shaken up to, to do that. But that it does, I was going to say it does help. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you wouldn't wish it on anybody. But, um, you know, I know lots of people who, who come to my workshops and stuff. And very often they're on a kind of a cusp of making a change. And it could be for all sorts of reasons. Often with women, it's a change in the time of life of their kids. And therefore their need has changed or their time or their commitment has eased or it could be in a change of career or it could be you know all sorts of different reasons or it could be a shift in themselves in terms of this is now my time you know and that was my time and I will never take it for granted you know because it is not something that just lands in your lap you have to really work hard. So that intersection of being a mother and an artist Mm. that's I mean it's famously you know, I think it was at the Kings of the Illness or somebody said, that, you know, the pram in the hall, it's the death knell for mm. creativity. And, and often as women, once we have kids, you know, the, that can go on the back burner. How, mm. how has being a mum, has it influenced? Has it changed or has it, how has it's, it sort of intersected? It's completely, with, you know, in an organic kind of way, which is, I know, an overused word, but... Um, it absolutely does change us as women mm. to become mothers and everything has changed so it influences everything for me and home influences everything for me and it was funny because I was in being interviewed by somebody and they said to me you know why how come your work is all about home and I was like oh <laughs> yes it is isn't it <laughs> but um, I think that for women who have children there is a period of time when you give birth and then you have young children, that it is very difficult. I mean, it's just very difficult from a time point of view and at getting that clear head thing. Um, But once they get a little bit older and they're going to school and stuff, I think it is a case of of there are a hundred things that can get in the way of our creativity. And it is a case of being organised and working it out and, and working out a way, you know, if you've no money, you know, getting some help and support in other ways and, um, you know, whatever it is. For me, I was working outside of the home most of the time, not, not full time, but, you know, three days a week. Um, so the girls were used to me being at work and they were either in creche or, you know, with granny or whatever. And when I started working from home, that's what I called it from the start, working from home. And I think that for women, sometimes the difficulty is that our that creative work is not validated unless it brings money. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. And so we have to use the language to honor the work from the start and really kind of train everyone. So, so when when you know, I mean, they were used to me being in the office and not being available to them. You know, unless hockey got cancelled or somebody was sick or you know, whatever. Um, and sometimes like that, if they were sick, I would bring them to the office with me for, you know, a couple of hours or whatever. And they knew I was at work and, you know, they could, you know, break the whiteboard in the other room or do whatever, you know, yeah. you do when you have kids and you, you know, have to keep in the office for a couple of hours. 
And so really very early on, I kind of trained them, you know, that I'm working. But the big advantage to working from home as a creative, as any self-employed person really is the flexibility. Mm. So I could, if somebody was sick, go get them, you know, if somebody was sick, I could be in the house, you know. And I could, it, it does take discipline, but on the tasks that need to be done that take the most amount of focus, really prioritizing the time in the morning when they were at school, so that's when I did my painting, particularly the drawing. You know, the drawing and the underdrawing of my paintings is the thing I can paint when there's other people around. With I can actually apply. Paint. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about your process in actual. That in I can do, and I can chat, and I can talk, and okay. you know, and and demos and stuff like that. And no problem. People can ask me questions, and you, you know, can carry and on, do yeah. that. But the drawing part of it takes a huge amount of focus and a, a huge amount of concentration, and that's the bit that's difficult when there's a lot else going on and so that would be for instance something that I would do when they weren't around and really protect that time but um the other ways that it has influenced my work is in my determination because I'm a single mum now and I and have to pay the bills and so I'm I'm you know it's it's holding it lightly and at the same time incredibly seriously you know I take my job incredibly seriously and at the ultimately if it didn't work out <laughs> if this crazy experiment failed um the bottom line is I would still have to provide for my kids and so I would have to go and get a job you know um but um you know I, so I'm, I'm very serious about it you know but I'm I am also very much aware and I and I teach this too about about feeding our creativity that we are not producing widgets that that as creatives what we are doing is, is coming out of our essence it's coming out of our our um, gut and our intellect and we have to protect that and you can't you know I have this my mum has this expression about feeding the well you know you can't continue to draw out of the well without feeding the well or you just run dry so how do you feed the well like I was going to ask about your inspiration I mean so so many I I agree so many of your paintings are about home or it seems that seems to be a theme there's their interior there a lot of open doors oh I always think that's interesting it's funny somebody once said too that that my work because I don't have figures in my work Mm -hmm. because I feel it it pins it down to that family or that person and that mood, mm-hmm. you know, whereas when, with most of my work, like, it, I kind of feel, well, somebody said to me once that they're like uh, the opening credits of a movie or the opening shot of a movie, that it, it's setting up for something that's just it's about to happen. Shot, yeah. And, or, or something has just happened and they've just left, you know, and I, I love, I love imperfect and I like, um, and I think my style is quite um, informed by that idea, and so is the subject matter. So the idea of imperfect family still being good, you mm-hmm. know, and um, the idea of the wellies that are kind of family portraits, and they're always sort of slightly askew, and you know they sort of stand for what has happened or what hasn't happened and it's never perfect you know um and and that's the kind of family that i understand and it's the kind of family that i'm comfortable in and um and it's funny when you say that you, you 
you could say about imperfect and yet so many so many of those interiors that look so beautiful and lush imperfection doesn't come it's it's not something that kind of but I, it, think, I know exactly yeah, what you're saying but it's you know it's the, so the pink that comes through or yes, the other colors yes. that come through i think that has come from that feeling of old houses that have decaying paintwork yes or yeah, wallpaper. Yeah, 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 yeah. so there's that sense of layered stuff coming through or maybe it's dirt or whatever it is but it's story it's 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 life being led lived in that space against those walls and they've been painted a hundred times and you know mm. um so even i think what what's what i think makes the paintings feel like that is the light right you know and mm-hmm. and often they are they're they're kind of uh, period houses that have beautiful antique furniture and mm. things like that mm. but I like to paint actual people's houses. Yes. I, I have done a whole series of blue book houses and stuff, which are kind of proper antique country houses and stuff. And I do do some of those kind of houses, but I like houses that are lived in, you know, mm. a real people's houses. And I, it's not that I paint ha- places that are really cluttered. I don't, mm. you know, they are usually beautiful spaces, but um, they're lived in at the same time. Mm. I don't paint hotels, you know, they're all stuffed with furniture and they have no soul and... Um, I don't paint empty houses, you know, um, mm. they are actually, they're kind of beautiful houses that I'd like to live in, <laughs> but uh, there is a sense that somebody does live there, yeah. you know, um, and the light is always really important for me, the light is the, the thing. So, you to answer your question, I'm sorry, I keep going off the point, but yeah. um, you were talking about how I feed the well, mm. and for me... Um, actually, here I go again, going off the point, but um, I was listening to Joseph O'Connor talking about this and yes. how, you know, writers live a very solitary life and so he likes to do the book readings and go to the, you know, Listowel Festival or whatever and, and that that provides for him that balance to that, so, so you know, I'm, I'm the same, I'm painting at home and my, my kids are a bit older now, they're both in secondary school and they're gone all day. So I'm here on my own all day painting and you know, working on business side of things. And so it's important for me to connect with people. And so the, the ways that I do that, I, I make, a, you know, um, the artist's way thing about talking about making a date yeah, with yes, yourself. The but I also, I go into town maybe twice a month and I go to galleries and I go for lunch with a friend and talk about ideas and mostly crap and <laughs> enjoy every minute of it. Um, and I, I walk, um, so I exercise nearly every day. I find that that um, balances my mood. It gets me energized. It gets me warmer, <laughs> you know, and it makes me more peaceful. And, you know, it just, you know, I walk up and stand and look out over the sea and the wind and that just settles me. So I do that at least three or four times a week do landscapes um, have you i have done paint a lot? yeah i have done i haven't done a series of them mm. I, I, it'll happen i think mm. at some point mm. yeah there's so much around here yeah where, where you live to, to draw yeah from. and i've done some from the west which are very different because they're yeah. they're sort of big sky and and yeah. big sort of you know connemara and stuff but I have also done quite a few from up around Paris Court and stuff. And they're very different because it's like a very high, you know, there's 
big range of value because you've got, got the dark trees and then you've got light coming through from you know across the river and stuff so so I love those as well mm. but I just I haven't done a huge amount of them really you know mm. so but I, I can see that happening at some point so you fill your well and you have your discipline are these are obviously things that sustain you but are there other yeah. things that sustain you well I I read um I mean I I there's huge amount of things that are important to me that feed that side of myself. So, you know, a good book, a novel that stays with you, the ideas seep into you, you never know where that comes out. I listen to podcasts, I listen to people talking about their work, could be anything. Um, you know, writers, you know, poets, other artists, um, you know, all, all sorts of strange and odd, you know, things on the radio and stuff you know that you hear um mm. what's his name mcgovern from uh Leitrim, you know what's his name uh the writer he's he's in fact um no, michael what's his name uh oh it'll come back to me he was talking about uh the art of dozing <laughs> and how it's kind of disappeared <laughs> you know that we used to sit in front of the fire and you'd mm. kind of doze you'd kind of you'd still hear what people were saying, you know, you'd be staring at the fire and you'd kind of slip away a little. And how, um, you know, he was saying we should have a campaign to bring back dozing, you know, and even on the bus and things, you know, you'd sit and you'd well, that's doze. it, because we're so we're, you know, distracted to music now. Or we're on yeah. our phone yeah, or, yeah, you know, yeah. we're too busy, you know. But, but that you do, so you could, when you doze, you slip into your dreams. It's like space. a meditation. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, Music is huge for me. Right. Uh, live music. Every time I go to see good live music, I come away and I am just, you know, it's like this mm. incredible restorative power. I went to see Patty Griffin oh, in the really? Olympia. And yeah, it was it incredible. Was just extraordinary to think of one person writing all of those songs yeah. and performing them and you know had been on the road with them for so long yeah but yeah there's an incredible just power to and the communication yeah yes it's and it's very similar that kind of life to mine so I understand sometimes when they're talking and stuff you know I can understand and empathize with them um theater uh you know anything like that that that's feeding um it, it, but but visually, um, I, I look at other artists' work, not necessarily to be informed, but, you know, to get the juice, you know, to mm -hmm. move, you know, you get excited, you know, it's like... Is there somebody that's exciting you at the minute? Um, who at the moment? I mean, I, 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 I found somebody the other day, actually, that I, as, as a Russian artist, that I could possibly <laughs> repeat his name. And I saved the pic the picture and his name, and I put it on my little Facebook thing or my Pinterest board. Um, it's just like it's like sweets, it's like candy, or um, it's a treat, a visual treat. And it's also it's also a way of learning, you know, mm, because I'm I'm you're, intellectually you're looking at that and going that that really works, that that fires me up, that. Mm. And then you're looking to see why why does that work, you know, and mm. understand it mm. from a from mm. an intellectual point of view. So it's 
it's a great learning curve. Um, and of course, you know, um, I learn by teaching as well. You know, I love teaching. I love um, seeing other people get that aha moment. And How did your workshop go? We recently did a workshop helping people to try and get to grips with being a business as an artist or, or that yeah, kind of, because that I mean, is often something that, it's all that this stuff doesn't work. That we're talking about, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's marketing and selling and yeah. admin and tax and <laughs> really wonderful stuff like that, but it's also feeding your creativity. I mean, the whole basis of it is really that if you don't have that, I mean, you know, you're going to, you're not going to have a business, you know, and it's why I don't do very many workshops because, you know, ultimately the, the core of it all is that creative output which for me is painting and and will be i'd say for for the foreseeable future and um but without that you know that's the core that has to be protected and that means feeding your creativity so it doesn't dry out not overworking and becoming overwhelmed what to do when you get overwhelmed you know Um, what do you do when you become overwhelmed well you know i I always start that by saying prevention is is the best cure so i talk about routine is really really important Mm. and building in that how do you feed your creativity what are the things for you um so for me you know going into town twice a month i mean uh, the life riley doesn't she have you know but it's essential and i live an incredibly busy life and you know achieve a lot and uh but i i viciously guard those kind of things you know I'm a great believer in booking st- stuff a couple of months out because then it comes by in the calendar and you have to go because you've paid for it <laughs> you know and not not putting things oh I'll, I'll you know I'll do that you know but you don't you know so either putting it into your routine like the walking and the exercise I do that first thing in the morning before I start work because I know I won't do it come bedtime there's wild horses would not drag me for a walk anywhere you know come six o'clock I'd be exhausted so it has to happen so I you know and I'm I'm really kind of good now at that routine and um I will plan I will actively make a point of meeting somebody for a walk once a week and uh you know that kind of thing you know because you know I need that need that energy from other people and chat and all of that or I would become quite isolated and that's what I was gonna sort of and get low well yeah Yeah. go on to that by the importance of community and and where do you draw your community from do you have a core circle or group that you um I'm like my mum I'm Mm -hmm. I am a collector of interesting people (laughs) I have many many friends um and I take them seriously, you know, I really kind of make a point of catching up with them. And, you know, all sorts of different people and interesting people. And one of the most wonderful things in my life was that, you know, when everything hit the fan, um, they stepped out of the shadows and they were there to support me, you know. And I, and I you know, I'm so, so, you know grateful but also so blessed and so just feel it I know that you know that I'm lucky to have those people and and I know too that I have those people in my life for that many number of years because we look after our relationship and we give it time and priority and I know that's that's kind of hard to do and I mightn't see people for ages you know the way 
and then you pick up with them and it's like yes you know two minutes ago um but i'm very blessed to have a wealth of interesting and generous and and lots of strong women um and and lots of wonderful men and just good friends you know who i've had for years and years and years and can sit and talk about life and the world and yeah <laughs> you know the all big stuff yeah yeah the big stuff and and everybody's different of course you talk about different things with yeah. different people you know because their lives are different or the kind of things they're interested in are different and that brings variety and spice you know so is there a spiritual underpinning to all this i mean you and i have had conversations about spirituality and everything um but is there with like all art i mean a lot of people talk about sort of channeling their art or um something their creativity coming from something outside of themselves is that something that you connect with it's not really in that um you know channeling but i would consider myself to be a very spiritual person and have been in phases religious but always spiritual um i would consider myself now that that the biggest factor now for me is is a, is a sense of of um unknowing mm. and and being comfortable in that um i don't get exercised about what is uh what it should be and um i'm the opposite opposite of fundamental really <laughs> you know um i would like to think anyway that i'm respectful and i respect life and i think we'll know soon enough <laughs> You know, the job is is in living. You know, I mean, m- my dad was a big part of my life, and he, when he passed away, I always thought I'd be very. He was sick for a long time, and I always thought I'd be guilty that feel feel guilty that I wouldn't I wouldn't have done more and everything, and and I was never never felt guilty after he died. You know, and he, I mean, he was, you know, I was his carer for years, so you know, there was a lot there, but he's gone, mm. and we're here, and I don't know where he's gone or if he has any being or, or sense or whatever but i feel the important time was when he was here mm. and um i'm happy with that well that's that's interesting i mean like the vibrancy in your paintings mm. life that's really and that's an immediate thing mm. that comes that vitality that comes right out in your Did work you, uh, did I send that, that thing, you know, with the, the guy, that elderly man, had writ, he was a writer and he had a new book out and he was in his late 80s and he had run this, uh, there was a journalist speaking to him. I'm not sure. No, and he, he was very elderly and infirm mm. and he was, he was talking about death, really, and atheism. He didn't believe in anything and I, you know, <coughs> I wouldn't... But anyway, he was, he was sort of talking about how so many of his friends are gone he's because he's so old you know but that he had all of these young people which of course is anybody under 80 I guess <laughs> um who uh, were in his life and he was just so grateful for them and he was so grateful for the beauty of 
of the outside world and nature and and I I think I'd like to be like him you know and I don't take it for granted I do work very hard and sometimes I have to kick myself in the ass and say stop a minute and you know but I um I do get the unbearable beauty of this world and of the people that are in it and that that is enough for me that's that's plenty for me and it isn't that I in any way deny the um, existence of God but I'm not interested in an argument I'm interested in living it you know and um, and being inclusive and you know being a human being you know you know that's enough <laughs> so um so yeah no that's great thank you Rishan. oh final question if you um could ho- host a dinner party uh-huh three people alive dead or fictional that you would like to have at your dinner party I hate these questions, but <laughs> I, I, I have the answer to one of them because I know who I want to be when I grow up, uh-huh. and that's Paul Buchanan. Do you know him no. from um, the Blue Nile? No. Uh, it's a band that was quite well off, well known, well, I guess partly well known in the 80s, and they're, they're still performing now. And he is, he's Scottish, uh, he writes music, beautiful music. He plays it with his band or he does a lot of solo stuff. He is very well respected, you know, from people in the know. And he's well off enough that he, you know, doesn't have to scrabble. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have to make choices based on money, I think. I don't know him. <laughs> I'm making these judgments about him. <laughs> actually probably, you know, doing ads for something, you know. But anyway... Um, and so he's respected, you know, he's free to, to do his thing and um, he's not famous, he's not so well off that his life has become a circus, you know, and he has just an integrity to him, you know, and I just, I want to be him when I grow up. So I want Paul Buchanan at my dinner party and um, Mary Oliver, mm. without a doubt. Um, I love, I love the way she speaks, you know, it's not even her poetry. I'd just be happy for her to... Just to hear her voice. She's yeah, a beautiful she, voice. She's a beautiful voice, but I mean, it's like, I keep thinking, is that scripted? <laughs> what she says, you know? And it's so, it's so life-affirming and unpretentious, you know? She's lovely. I love her. And um, I think if I could only have three, it, it would probably be either my mum or my nana. And seeing as I have my mum, I think it probably would be my nana. I, you know, she she mightn't possibly say very much or, you know, all of that, but I'd be glad to have her. I really would, you know. Thank you very much. Thank you.